is very good to be here today. I wish it were under different circumstances, for Steve's sake, of course, but uh, I know you've been keeping him in prayer uh, through this time of loss. Well, Thanksgiving is four days away, and needless to say, it's been a weird year, hasn't it? And uh, frustrating, hard, I think we could... I was almost tempted to ask you, give me some adjectives for this year, but I thought, I better not do that. But in spite of that, there's still a lot to be thankful for. Family and friends, relationships, our country still has many good things about it. Uh, But more importantly, of course, we have our Lord, our faith, the Bible, just a lot of things to be thankful for. So I want to talk about something that I'm very thankful for that's very near and dear to me, and that is the church. And we hear a lot of bad about the church these days. In fact, when I first mentioned the idea of this sermon to another minister, he said, it's going to be a short sermon, huh? Well, I could preach a sermon called What's Wrong with the Church, but I'm not going to do that today because I am thankful for the church. Let me read something that happened one Sunday morning in a church, and I think you'll uh, enjoy and appreciate this. It's written by a minister several years ago, and you'll see why it was several years ago because it's not quite like today. But he says, as with most ministers, I don't like surprises on Sunday morning. All week long, I pray over and plan what will come, what will happen that Sunday morning. And I focus everything due on the Sunday morning celebration when the church people gather. One of the few parts of the service out of my control, however, is the time the ushers receive the tithes and offerings. Certainly, this is an important part of the service, and I like it done in an orderly and proper fashion. Harold was a new man in the church. He lived a hard life before becoming a Christian and was not familiar with what goes on in a church worship service, but Harold was eager to learn. I thought that Harold would make a good usher. After all, what can go wrong while the ushers take up the Sunday morning collection? It was Harold's first time to help with the offering, and it started well. The ushers came down to the front of the sanctuary, took their usual places. The head usher led in the prayer, and then they began going down the aisles receiving the morning offering. So far, everything went as usual. I should tell you that Harold was a tall, imposing man with fiery red hair. And that morning, he was all smiles. For him, it was a tremendous honor to be taking up the offering. It was the most important job he'd ever had, and he took his duties seriously. Too seriously, I'm afraid. Everything was fine until Harold came to Mr. Hoffman, who ran a hardware store and owned some apartments in town. Mr. Hoffman was a successful businessman, and everyone knows this, including Harold. When Harold came to Mr. Hoffman, he enthusiastically handed the offering plate to him, and Mr. Hoffman put in a $5 bill. Unfortunately, Harold saw him put in the $5 bill, and then Harold did the unthinkable. Five dollars, Harold exclaimed in a voice that carried throughout the sanctuary. You put in five dollars? With all the money you have, you ought to be ashamed to be putting in only five dollars. Well, this had never happened in our church before, and a loud gasp went throughout the entire congregation. Come on, Mr. Hoffman, Harold continued. You can put in more than that. Our church needs all the money it can get. With a face as red as the devil's pajamas, Mr. Hoffman reached for his wallet and emptied everything he had into that offering plate. That's more like it, Harold said with a beaming face as he resumed his ushering duties. It's probably needless to say that everyone behind Mr. Hoffman on Harold's side of the sanctuary became quite conscious of what they were putting in the offering plate. 
Everyone wanted to get that plate past them as fast as they could, hoping Harold would not see what they put in. Things settled down, and I let go a big sigh of relief, believing the worst was over. I was mistaken. Harold was almost at the end of his row of pews when it happened. Someone who was nervous and upset with the previous proceedings was not watching the offering plate as closely, and thinking had a firm grip on the offering plate. When he did not, he dropped it. And the money from the plate scattered everywhere, and I must interject here that Harold had only been a Christian for two months when this happened. And did I mention he lived a rough life before becoming a Christian? Harold saw the offering plate fell, and in this excitement, he swore. That's right. Right in church and loud enough for God and the entire congregation to hear, Harold delivered a string of oaths never before heard in that sanctuary. I almost died. At first, there was a gasp from the congregation as though the people were holding their breath. And then in the quietness, Sister Agnes, who is hard of hearing, whispered loud enough for everyone to hear, what did he say? And from the back pew, someone giggled, which only served as a trigger to set everyone laughing hysterically, and it was the longest laugh ever in that congregation. Ah, the church. It makes you laugh sometimes. It makes you smile. Sometimes it makes you want to cry. Sometimes it makes you mad, and it can make you sad. And I'm just going to say up front, I am prejudiced in favor of the church. I was raised in it. I've experienced many benefits from it. My kids benefited from being preacher's kids, even though they didn't always think so. My family and I are personally indebted to the church. My kids had surrogate family in the church. Both of our kids benefited from youth programs and Sunday school classes and the influence of many church members. But I can also be very critical of the church and pretty cynical. And I think it's okay to admit the church is not perfect. We blow it. There's splits and there's conflict and there's pettiness. When I was a kid, there was an elder that punched another elder in our church. We hear of money being embezzled by Christians. We hear of ministers and their misconduct. And, and yes, there's racism sometimes in the church. When my son decided to go into ministry, my wife and I were not ecstatic. We were proud, but we were concerned because we knew the challenges facing him. There's books on dysfunctional churches, scores of books on conflict in churches, how we hurt each other and say things that we should not. A few summers ago, we had a lady go out for service. This was a traditional service over Mount Pulaski. And she's about 90 years old and the sweetest thing. It's 95 degrees out and my wife, Ellen, uh, was wearing a sundress that morning, very appropriate. And this lady goes out, and again, she's the sweetest, kindest, dearest lady, dressed in a full suit, and I will change her name to protect me. Ellen shook her hand and said, Dorothy, you look so nice today. And Dorothy said, yes, and you're half naked. And my wife hands Dorothy's hand to me and says, tell Mark what you just said. I had another lady go out one Sunday and said, that's the worst sermon I ever heard. And I felt bad about that because it wasn't the worst sermon I'd ever preached. The church is humorous, sad, comedic, tragic. We could go on and on, all kinds of adjectives, what's wrong with the church. But before we get too depressed, maybe we should think about the first church in the New Testament. People who lied about giving squabbles and divisions, greed and idolatry, leaders disagreeing so much they had to part ways. Yes, there was splits in the first church. Incest, 
Rich people snubbing the poor, favoritism, racial prejudice, sexual prejudice, loud, obnoxious women, men being poor husbands, charismatic arrogance and disputes over speaking in tongues, doctrinal errors, lawsuits between members. I mean, it just doesn't sound very good. But that church turned the world upside down. Jesus said, it's my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. That first church did something right. And when Paul writes to them, there's a lot of problems and a lot of wrong, but overall, he still conveys this foundation of optimism. He's realistic and yet positive. It's Jesus' church, and hell will not win. The church of today has issues, but it's doing something right, doing a lot of things right. How many of you are raised in the church? Raise your hand. How many? You're, st you're still around, so apparently the church did okay with you. My growing up experience in churches was mostly small, struggling churches. Some of them would be considered dysfunctional. They were not growing. They were not big, big churches by any means, but they still had influence on my life and many others. AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is a good program. It's helped millions of people. But most of the AA groups I know have problems. Interpersonal problems, attendance problems, backsliding. That doesn't make AA not valuable. In the New Testament, the church is a family, the family of God. When Jesus came, he created a church and said, you are my household. And so we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Two institutions established by God are the family and the church, and I don't think it is coincidental that in neither are we given a choice of who our relatives are. We are given parents and brothers and sisters, and we had no choice in that, and yet we are expected to love them. I've got uncles and aunts and brothers-in-laws and cousins, and I'm given no choice in who would be my relatives, and I'm not sure they would have chosen me if uh, they had that choice. I'm not sure I would have chosen all of them. Some people say, well, I don't like my brother. My cousins are mean, and my brother-in-law is a nerd. And, and you have to deal with all different ages, 3-year-olds, 13-year-olds, and 93-year-olds, plus the family changes, and it's not the same anymore. My sister went through a divorce, and the new husband's not a good fit, and my mom died, and we're no longer close, and I get irritated with my family. I've been hurt by my family, but it still comes back to it's my family. I am part of them, and they are part of me. And God is not interested in us finding the perfect church family. He's interested in whether we can love our imperfect brothers and sisters. Some people say, well, I just don't like some of those church people. And I want to say, get in line. What do you expect? See, this is the genius of God. He puts this together with people who would not, we would not normally choose to be with. Some of you would not choose to be around someone like me. But the Spirit puts us to together, says, now you love one another, you serve one another, you teach and you learn from one another, you put up with one another, you forgive one another, and you love the world. And the Holy Spirit is in the midst of all that, and that family does pretty good. I see church people praying for one another. I, I see uh, church people grieving with those who grieve. I see mature Christians welcoming a, welcoming a new brother or a non-Christian. I, I see people overcome addictions because of the family of the church. Marriage is brought together. I've seen teenagers and kids come out of a horrible home life and they find family at the church. It's not perfect, but it's good. You've seen God work here. You've seen it right in this church. So don't underestimate 
the good the church is doing. The church is a family. Also in the New Testament, the church is a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we were all baptized into one body, all of us. Paul said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And notice Paul says the word cannot. You cannot say that. He doesn't say you should not. You cannot say you don't need other believers. You cannot say you don't need the body of Christ. In fact, you need that annoying person. It's good for you. We need the socially awkward heralds and Agnes who is hard of hearing and Dorothy who says you're half naked. We need the crabby old man, the rambunctious child, and those who talk too much. And yes, even the preacher that preaches too long. We need them. Let's say my leg gets mad at me. I haven't been giving my leg enough tension and it pouts and gets mad and says, I quit. Whoever you're giving too much attention to your face and your hair and your eyes and the other parts of your body and you're not giving me enough attention and so the leg cuts himself off and my body suffers. I've lost a leg. I'm now crippled and I'll be limited. But how long do you think that leg will last by itself? It'll die. And the body of Christ suffers when an individual member cuts themselves off, but the individual member suffers more. When people abandon the body, faith fades, it grows cold, or often they develop some sort of self-made faith that talks about Jesus but is really nothing close to the Christianity of the Bible. The church is a living organism. It is a body. There's life there. There's something that sustains it. There's a supernatural quality about it. And without it, people die. People's faith dies. I'm not sure you can be saved outside the church. Some people would dispute that. But if you read the Bible, and I may be wrong. I kind of hope I am wrong. But how can you be saved if you're not part of the family of God? How can you be saved if you're not part of the body of Christ? Someone once said, there's two things you cannot do alone. One is be married, and the other is be a Christian. You cannot have an isolated relationship with Jesus Christ. So even though the church is an imperfect body, I need it, and I'll shrivel up and die without it. So it's a family, it's a body. The church is also Christ's revelation. Jesus has delegated the task of revealing his presence in the world through the church. The church is, in a way, the second incarnation. The first is Jesus, and the second is his body, and God reveals himself through us. And that amazes me. It perplexes me. The church is Christ to the world. We are Christ's ambassadors. Unfortunately, the second incarnation is not perfect, like the first one. And this is where people get disappointed, sometimes disgusted. The church is often a bad rendition of Jesus. When people criticize the church, probably the most common criticism is there's so many hypocrites, and they're right. People who claim to be Christ followers don't always look like Christ. We hear sermons on gossip, but people still gossip. We read the Bible about unity, but there's still disunity. We know Christ wants us to love, but still there's unloving acts. There are people who look one way on Sunday and another way on Monday. And people will sometimes say to me, Mark, you'd be surprised what your church people are really doing. You'd be surprised at what some of those kids are doing, those teenagers. I mean, these people aren't what you, what you think they are, what you see on Sunday morning. Well, I grew up in the church. 
And on Sunday mornings, I saw Christians dressed up in their fine clothes and smiled at each other, but I knew what was going on. I saw what my teenage friends were doing. My dad was a preacher, and I heard what went on in elders and board meeting. I know how church people can be, but you know what? I know how I can be and how inconsistent I am and how flawed and ugly I can be and the kind of teenager I was. All of us have some pretty ugly displays of hypocrisy, and if we're honest, every one of us has been part of it. And my first reaction is shame on us. Shame on me. But somehow, some way, people are still brought to Christ. People are ministered to. Children are taught. Teens go to Bible college. I mean, somehow it works. Composer Igor Stravinsky once wrote a piece that contained a difficult violin passage. And after several weeks of rehearsal, the solo violinist came to Stravinsky and said that he could not play it. He had given his best effort, and he just found the passage too difficult, even unplayable. And Stravinsky replied, I understand that. What I'm after is the sound of someone trying to play it. And maybe that's what God had in mind with the church. God said, I know you can't do it, not the way it should be done. I know you cannot fully embody Jesus to the world, but I want you to try. And it's in that trying that God's power is made known. In our weakness, he works. So God is this master conductor who's gathered together a ragtag bunch of amateur musicians, kind of like the Mayberry Band. Are you old enough to remember Mayberry and the band? And they play Stars and Stripes for Ender. And they were terrible, but you could still hear the tune. So the very act of trying and for all our bungling, some of the music gets through. The church is a family. It's Christ's body. It's Christ's revelation. And it is having impact. Studies show that churchgoers are better citizens. They're better at community involvement. They're more generous and more giving, more active in social programs. The psychological and social value of the church to the community is enormous. We're especially seeing that in this time of COVID. We need this fellowship. In 2016, a Harvard School of Public Health professor wrote a USA Today op-ed entitled, Religion May Be a Miracle Drug. And it begins by saying, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans at no personal cost, what value would our society place on it? And the author goes on to outline the mental and physical health benefits that are correlated with regular religious participation. For most Americans, that means going to church, even to the extent of reducing mortality rates by 20 to 30% over 15 years. Those who attend regular service are more optimistic, have lower rates of depression, have a greater purpose in life, less likely to divorce, and more self-controlled. Consultant Peter Drucker once said, there are only two organizations that are really changing people. 12-step groups and the church. If you want to make a difference, you really have two options. I ministered for five years up in Rockford, which is kind of a mini Chicago. A lot of gangs, high crime rate, highest unemployment rate in Illinois. It's just a mess. And I'll tell you, the churches are mentoring in the schools, doing after-school programs, literacy programs, inner-city programs, addiction rehab, medical programs. I mean, the church is really the last hope for the inner city because it's the only 
organization with a fundamental philosophy that will keep them there. Other churches, we see Christian parents adopting orphans and the church gathers around and supports them. Benevolence ministries, missionaries, youth and children being taught, little Galilee camps, CIY, just things like that. Chuck Colson was at Buckingham Palace and was asked by Prince Philip, what can we do about crime here in England? And Colson said, send more children to Sunday school. And Prince Philip thought he was joking. And Colson pointed out that in the first half of the 1800s, British society was marked by a high level of crime and violence, and it dropped dramatically in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And throughout that period, attendance at Sunday school rose steadily until by 1888, 75% of children in England were enrolled in Sunday school. And since then, of course, attendance has fallen off, and there's been an increase in crime. And Colson pointed out, when Sunday school's up, crime is down. When Sunday school's down, crime goes up. You want a social revolution? History shows us, get kids into church. It is imperfect. People in the church are imperfect, but it is the revelation of Christ to the world. And it is making a difference. And I'm thankful for the church. Are you? You've probably seen a list of typos in church bulletins, <clears throat> and maybe you've heard some of these. I just need to lighten it up a little bit here. Here's a few bulletin bloopers. Next Thursday, there'll be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. I like that. Barbara remains in the hospital. She's having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of the pastor's sermons. I don't like that one. <laughs> Here's my favorite. Bertha Belch. A missionary from Africa will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. <laughs> We're so inept and so bad sometimes. But the music gets through. Another thing the church does right, the church attracts very often the unacceptable. See, Jesus is the light of the world, and light illuminates. Light gives off work, uh, warmth and does a lot of good, but light also attracts bugs. And some people come to church, come to the light, where they would not be acceptable anywhere else. People will volunteer for jobs they shouldn't be doing, maybe like Harold. They wouldn't be allowed to do anywhere else. Victory Outreach is an inner city church up in Rockford, and they're pulling people off the streets, off of the inner city. They are doing some amazing things with drug addicts and prostitutes. And I went to church there one Sunday with them, and there were some men off in a section over by themselves, like kind of in a wing like that. And I asked the preacher, now, why are those guys sitting over there? He said, we don't trust them to sit with the rest of the congregation where there's any women. Oh, they're making a difference. I read about a woman who came to a church to ask for money. This is up in Minnesota. She had a little baby with her, and the minister left the room for a few minutes. When he came back, she was gone, but the baby was left. She'd come to abandon her child, and it's interesting. She seeks out a place with a cross on top. Why didn't she go to a casino? I thought that was going to solve all our problems. Why didn't she take that baby to a business or to a government agency even? No, she chooses a church because she knew they would accept that child. I could go on and on. Church does right. Hospitals like St. John's and St. Mary's 
Most of our colleges and universities were started by Christians. Abolition of slavery in England, salvation armies, soup lines, food pantries, homes for unwed mothers, habitat for humanity, child labor laws, YMCA. After hurricanes and natural disasters, floods of Christians pour into the region. Dave Ramsey, Christian Financial Peace University, marriage retreats, seminars, Christian counseling, youth groups building wheelchair ramps for older people, children's homes, nursing homes, and the music gets through. There was an article in the New York Times of all places, New York Times, December 2008, written by Matthew Paris, and the title of an article is An Atheist Defends Evangelism in Africa. He says, missionaries, this is an atheist, missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problems. New York Times, atheist. He says, now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous, enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular government projects and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. He says, it confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. The music gets through. One more bulletin blooper. says the church will host an evening of fine dining, superb entertainment, and gracious hostility. <laughs> gracious hostility. And there's a contradiction for you. And I thought, you know that? The church is a contradiction. So much grace goodness, self-giving, compassion, kindness, good people, encouragement, but there's sometimes hostility, self-indulgence, meanness, gossip. Through the years, I've seen amazing examples of how awful a church can be, and through the years, I've seen amazing examples of how good a church can be, grace and hostility. It's a mixture of good and bad, and I imagine that's because you and I are a mixture of good and bad. It's an imperfect, flawed contradiction. One more image. The church is the bride of Christ. We're his betrothed. Jesus is the perfect groom. He does everything right. He's the perfect husband, and he loves the bride the way she should be loved. But the bride, she's not perfect. She's sometimes unfaithful. She's selfish, sometimes not very loving or attractive. In fact, there's times she can be a witch. Some people love the perfect Jesus, but they just can't stand that woman. I love Jesus, but that bride, ooh, she's ugly. But Christ loves her. She's his church. He loves her, sacrifices for her, even dies for her. And apparently he sees something in her that many don't see. And you, are and I, you and I are called to love her as well. I love the church but not near as much as Jesus does. And the gates of hell will not win. And I'm thankful for that. Let's pray.